We at Harlem Baptist Church want to welcome you as you join in listening to the word preached with us. We hope that you are both challenged and encouraged as we hear from the word of God. We pray that through this recording, you would know the truth of the gospel and that you would find life in Christ. If you don't have a church home, you are always welcome to join us. If you do, we pray this would not be a substitute, but instead a supplement to the preaching of your home church. Information about Harlem Baptist, as well as other sermons and resources, can be found at our website, www.harlanbaptist.org. This morning we are continuing in the book of Romans, and specifically looking at the theme verse verses of the book of Romans in chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Last week we looked at chapter 16, or verse 16 specifically, and this week I want us to focus on verse 17. Uh, we talked about being the, what did Paul mean by saying he was not ashamed last week? This week I want us to focus on the righteousness of God and what that means. What's Paul talking about? How does this define the entire letter of Romans? And then what, is this, what are the implications for us? Uh, so if you will, I want to ask you to stand with me uh, for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 16 through 17, then I want to pray briefly. The word of the Lord says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You may be seated. Pray with me. Father, Lord, we come before you this morning, an unrighteous people who need to know how we are made righteous. Lord, we need to see your righteousness revealed and this good news of the gospel that Paul is sharing with the church in Rome. Lord, may we hear the good news as your righteousness revealed. Lord, the righteousness, Lord, that you prove through your just actions. The righteousness, Lord, that you provide to us even though we are undeserving. Lord, the faith that you give us so that we might know salvation through your Son. Lord, may you make all these things clear through the preaching of your word this morning. Lord, may we leave this room, leave this service, encouraged and strengthened with a greater faith and a greater love for you. Lord, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You ain't right. You ain't right. And I've heard that statement. Wasn't necessarily about this scripture, but whenever I've done something ridiculous, I've heard, you ain't right. And honestly, I think that's, one, that is what Paul's trying to get across in this text, if we want to summarize it in three words. He's saying, he's talking about the righteousness of God, but he's talking about the righteousness of God revealed, and guess what? It ain't revealed in you and me, in what we've done, it's revealed in what God has done. But you ain't right, is something we all need to hear, and honestly... 
We need to be saying to one another, not only you ain't right, but you need to be saying, I ain't right. I mean, we don't need any more evidence that the world is not as it should be. Has 2020 been enough for us to recognize that? Last week it was an earthquake. This past week we've got crazy storms going through Iowa. I know knocking down you know, millions and millions, if not billions of dollars of corn, people's livelihoods at, at stake. We've got just craziness everywhere. And it just seems to just continue to magnify and get worse and worse. Shouldn't we be seeing what this demonstrates? The world isn't right. And the problem is, is that we aren't helping it, are we? And I think what Paul's saying here in this text, what we need to see, we need to see the righteousness of God, because when we see the righteousness of God, we see how unrighteous we truly are. And we're going to get into that in the latter part of chapter 1, but I just want us to, I mean, let's just come to the position we need to hear, we're not right. We need to be made right. I mean, look at how we've even responded to the chaos of this year. As a country, as a, as a globe. And I've often heard it illustrated that what you turn to first in a time of difficulty shows and demonstrates what you truly worship. Man, we aren't a Christian nation. We're a political nation. We're an economic nation. We're a social nation. We're a consumer nation. Man, if what we turn to first in the midst of the trial, that really shows us what we worship, we are in desperate need and we definitely are not right. During the hardest trial that we've faced as a nation, as a generation, a godly people would be turning in repentance and faith, truly. One side or the other. We see so many turning to government, so many turning to financial security, so many turning all the wrong places. So the evidence that we're not right, it's just I just want to lay that out there before we get into the text. It's clear we're not right. It's clear that there are things that are desperately wrong. So what's the answer? What's the solution? Well, this is the good news of the Gospel. is the righteousness of God is revealed for us. What God has done for us. The Gospel is about the righteousness of God revealed. It's about God's work. And it's about rescue by righteousness and rescue for righteousness. But do we know the Gospel and our lives, are our lives characterized by this glorious hope? Because Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. It is the power of God. Do we know this power? You see, I think one of the problems we face in our culture today, not that it's a new problem, but it's definitely evident, 
why we ain't right is because we all want to be the ones who define what is good, what is true, what is right, what is wrong. But see, apart from seeing what the true definition of goodness is, what the true definition of holiness is, what the true definition of righteousness is, we won't see how bad we are, we won't see how bad we've got it, and we won't see how good the gospel really is. So my my goal this morning is for us to look at this verse, verse 17, and to see the definition of righteousness and to see what God is at work, what God has done and is doing for us and what He's calling for us to do in response. So let's define righteousness to start out with. If you were watching Wednesday night, I, I had this definition, and you'll see some of the same things that we talked about then. But what is righteousness? It's conformity to a certain set of expectations which vary from role to role. Righteousness is fulfillment of the expectations in any relationship, whether with God or other people. I think this is a helpful definition, but it doesn't come across when you first read it. Maybe that's not what you thought of about righteousness, but it is the fulfillment of expectations of a person according to their character, what is right and what is good. And we know that God is the definition of good, that God's character is faithfulness, trustworthiness, steadfastness. He's righteous because there is no sin in Him. There is no wrong. We see He is good and He always meets the right expectations. He always meets and fulfills His promises. So really, when we look at righteousness, we can look at it, but we can't get past the fact that to talk about righteousness is to talk about God Himself. Because He is the standard of good. We're talking about His holiness and His justice. His complete perfection, but also His complete Just action against sin, against wrong. He accomplishes good and maintains justice. So when we're talking about righteousness, when Paul is talking about righteousness, he's not talking about ours. He's talking about God's. See, this is the good news about the Gospel. It's the gift of salvation and it's the gift of righteousness. A righteousness that is not our own. That God has provided by His promise, by His work, by His Son. We're not talking about man's righteousness here. We'll talk about that the rest of the chapter, but it ain't righteousness. It's unrighteousness. It's rebellion. It's a failure to meet the expectations that were set on us. It's a It's a rebellion against our divine creation purpose. The whole point is that we do not have a righteousness in and of ourselves because we are sinners. We've rebelled. But the Gospel is the revelation of God's righteousness. It's the glory of God revealed in His just actions and His righteousness made possible for a sinful rebellious mankind. So we look at verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. In what? In the Gospel, it is revealed. 
So what does this mean? Righteousness is revealed. So the glory, the holiness, the just actions of God, the the meeting of expectations, it's all revealed in the Gospel. And this word revealed, it comes from the word apocalypse, apocalypti, so we think about revelations. It's the glory of God revealed, and it's right here, it's in the present tense. It indicates the righteousness of God is being presently manifested in the Gospel. This is a reality, a new reality made possible by God's work, His righteousness being revealed actively through this truth. And Paul's sharing it. And there's two aspects to this righteousness that Paul is going to reveal throughout the book of Romans, throughout this letter, two that he is referring to even right here. And I want us to see these because these are the glorious truths of the Gospel. The first that we see is it is a saving righteousness. Is a, a saving righteousness of God is revealed. Now, what do I mean by this? This is the gift that Paul will talk about in Romans 3. We're going to read that in a minute. The righteousness applied to our account that's not our own. The righteousness, this forensic status that we are declared to be righteous even though we did nothing on our own to deserve it. But through God's gracious work through His Son, we are declared to be righteous. It is a saving righteousness that redeems us from sin, but we are declared righteous not because of what we've done, but what Christ has done. This is this reality, the righteousness that some have translated this, the righteousness that comes from God. It's the righteousness that comes from God that God has provided a righteousness. That's the good news of the Gospel to save all who will believe they can be righteous because of what God has done. This is what blew Martin Luther's mind when he was converted as a Roman Catholic monk. He was reading through this text, through these verses, and he finally saw, he said, this isn't just talking about the righteousness of God in just, justly condemning sinners and providing salvation. He, he saw God's just action, but he didn't see the, the gift of righteousness until he saw that it was the gift of righteousness from God that's provided for him by faith. The righteous shall live by faith, but by faith. See, we need to see the saving righteousness revealed in the Gospel because that's what we see. We are condemned. We stand condemned apart from the Gospel. But God, in His grace, has provided saving righteousness for us. A righteousness that we did not earn, that we could not earn, that's impossible apart from the perfect, sinless life and work of Jesus Christ. The saving righteousness of God is revealed in the Gospel. But not just that, but the judging righteousness of God is revealed. We talked about this some on Wednesday night. This is the activity of God. His actions revealed here, but also in verse 18 because we see that God's righteousness is revealed in His action through providing a means of salvation. But we see that God's righteousness is revealed even in His wrath against unrighteousness. Verses 18 and following are going to focus on God's wrath against the unrighteous. You see, God is just. 
He is righteous in what He has accomplished because He's made possible salvation. Not by, not by just deleting the condemnation that was due on us. But instead, justly letting the punishment fall, but letting the punishment fall not on us, but on His Son. On Himself. And that goes right back to what we talked about. The promised Gospel. The Gospel promised beforehand. This is what God had promised. All the way back to Abraham when He made that covenant with him. We talked about walking that covenant ceremony where God walked through the path and did not allow Abraham to do it because he said, I will provide salvation for you even when it costs me when you fail. See, God is righteous to keep his promise. But God also reveals his righteousness that he's making possible that same righteousness to us who do not deserve it, who did nothing to deserve it. See, the righteousness of God is revealed in the Gospel because He has accomplished this work of redemption without compromising His character. But instead highlighting it by taking on the punishment Himself in His Son, Jesus. Some look at these verses and say, well, this isn't... We can't say it's both. Is it, is it just the forensic righteousness of God that we are called and that we are made possible, that He is gifting us righteousness? And it's not that, but we have to see it as both. I love what Tom Schreiner says. How are we to understand this text, which is crucial to understanding all of the book of Romans? Why does, Schreiner says this, why does God declare sinners who place their trust in Jesus to be righteous? For the glory of His name, for in the cross of Christ, both the saving and judging righteousness of God are manifested. See, this points us to the cross where God provides a just substitutionary sacrifice to redeem lost sinners and to make them righteous, to declare them righteous, while still maintaining His justice in that He punishes sin. Sin does not go unpunished. Why is this so important? I think Paul has to mean both because think about this, and this is where it begins to really almost be hard to comprehend. But when God displays His righteousness in His saving of unrighteous sinners and providing them with His righteousness, is He not bringing infinite glory to Himself and making it absolute ridiculous the idea of us having a righteousness of our own apart from Him. He's providing for us righteousness that is not our own while demonstrating His righteousness at His cost and not ourselves. It's as if God's making it absolutely, and it's not as if, it is God making it absolutely clear we bring nothing to the table. Nothing to the table. So where should we be in response to this glorious truth? We should be radically humbled. And we should be a humble people. A gracious people. Not quick to condemn anyone because we ourselves are recipients of grace. There's no room whatsoever for arrogance in the Christian. Because we have not done anything 
of our own power, of our own accord, not even believe because it is a gift of God. He has saved us by His grace. So that His righteousness might be revealed in His action and in us apart from anything that we've done. You see, it is for God's glory And if you think I'm crazy, well, we're going to jump ahead to Romans 3, 21 through 26, because I want us to read. Paul's just preparing us to hear what he's going to expound in that chapter. Starting in verse 21, he says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. So why did God do all this? This was to show God's righteousness. To show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time. So that He might be what? Be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, what is God doing there? He's taking any idea, any remote conception away from us that we could think we bring something to the table in this work of salvation, in this work of redemption. He is the just. He has accomplished salvation by not violating His character, by maintaining His justice, by pouring out His wrath on His Son in our stead. And He says He is the justifier because in Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, He accomplishes this salvation and proves His righteousness and then provides it to those who will trust in Him by faith. God is righteous. We are not. Why is there any semblance of pride still in us? Any semblance of arrogance in us? By God's grace are we saved. It says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteousness of God is revealed to demonstrate, in other words, that it is only by faith and by nothing that we've done that we are justified. We cannot be made righteous by anything that we do. We cannot be made righteous by any effort by ourselves. It is by faith alone. But to understand by faith alone, we need to see what Paul is saying here in these two phrases and this quote from the prophet Habakkuk. 
but by faith alone. We have to ask the question, how does this righteousness get accounted to us? We read but right here, it is by faith. We saw it in chapter 3, it is by faith. Those who trust in Christ's propitiation, His substitutionary sacrifice for us. It is a, by faith that we are accounted righteous. And there's a really interesting clause here, a phrase that has brought about a lot of debate. Well, what does he mean from faith for faith? And what this is hard to read is because it's a very simple phrase. It's kind of vague. It's just two prepositions and then the same word, pistuus. Faith. From faith to faith. From faith for faith. Well, how are we to understand what this means? And a lot of people have come up with a lot of ideas, but this is the thing. If I'll, what we need to do when we come to the text is not try to read more ideas into it. We take its simplest meaning and take it as it is. So, one author for us to see this, it is likely that we should then read this as emphatic. Not trying to come well, what, from some old faith to a new faith, from this faith to another faith. No, it's from faith and only by faith. And the ESV translate it from faith for faith. And this is where they leave it vague so that we would try to understand it according to our conscience. But I actually really appreciate how the NIV translates it because it gets the idea across that I think is so clear. And I'll make that clear, I hope, from Habakkuk in a moment. But the NIV translates this. For in the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed as righteousness that is by faith from first to last. From first to last. You see, it is a righteousness, the righteousness that is declared and accounted to us by Christ's work on the cross, it only comes about from faith and from nothing else. No work, no effort on our part. It is only by faith that we are accounted righteous. Now why, why do I believe so strongly that? And why is this so important for us when we look at what Paul quotes? He quotes the righteous. He says, as it is written. This is how Paul introduces so many of his quotes when he quotes from the Old Testament. So you know when Paul says, as it is written, he's talking about Scripture. He's quoting Scripture. So that should be really important for us. So we go back to Habakkuk 2.4 and we read this statement. We want to know the context of what Paul's quoting. And in Habakkuk 2.4 it says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Now the prophet here is condemning those who have rejected God, those who have worshipped false gods, those who are arrogant in and of themselves. And he says that powerful statement, the righteous shall live by his faith. So what does Paul have in mind when he's quoting from Habakkuk? If we're to tie all this together. If we take the meaning of righteousness by faith from what we read in Habakkuk and we read it into Romans, we see what this is. We see one, this glorious truth that righteousness comes to us not by anything that we do, but by faith, trusting in God, 
by putting our hope on God and on His work alone, that He will keep His promises. That's not something new, is it? This isn't something new. It's the promised Gospel. The Gospel promised beforehand. And Paul's saying, look, this is how it has always been. We were to trust in God, to place our faith in Him, and He will declare us righteous, not by anything that we've done, but by what He has done. If I haven't made it clear so far, then this text makes abundantly clear the faith that is spoken of in Habakkuk is placed in direct contrast to the arrogance and boldness of the man who is puffed up. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. There is no room for any arrogance or even self-confidence in the Christian walk because we are here only by God's grace. We are saved only by God's grace. We are declared righteous only by God's grace extended to us as He's proved His righteousness above all. What's demonstrated in Habakkuk and then what Paul, what he is talking about, the righteous shall live by faith. This faith is a humble, a humble dependence on God who provides. Not on us. It is a humble dependence. What's God calling for us to do He's calling for us to depend on Him to stop looking to ourselves because look how richly He has provided for us through His Son. How foolish is it to think that we bring anything to the table? How foolish is it to put our hope in anything other than Him? Yet what do we do? The righteous shall live by faith. We will not presently nor futurely know life apart from faith. But what faith requires is not just, this isn't just belief. It's not just a mental ascension. We've talked about that. This faith is the recognition that God keeps His promises and His promise was to redeem us even when we rebelled. So what must come with faith then is faithfulness. When we place our faith in God, we're acknowledging the salvation that only He can accomplish. We're acknowledging our unrighteousness. We're acknowledging that it is only by His grace that we now know life. So to be righteous by faith. What's made clear in this text and what Paul will make clear throughout the book of Romans. To be righteous by faith, it requires coming to the end of myself.
It means recognizing I've got nothing except Christ. It is to acknowledge that I bring nothing to the table. In myself, I am unrighteous. In myself, I have rebelled against God. But look at what God has done. The righteous, holy, sovereign God has demonstrated His righteousness. And He would have been righteous just to demonstrate His wrath against us as sinners. But God, because His righteousness is not contradictory to His character to love and to the promises that He's made, He's made possible salvation made possible redemption for us sinners that deserve condemnation. He's made possible salvation by His righteous act to take on the punishment that we deserve in Himself through His Son. So God demonstrates the futility of our unrighteousness by displaying His righteousness and providing that righteousness for us We can have no pride, no confidence in ourselves. This is a gift, and it is the power of the Gospel. Leon Morse says this, Paul does not say that the Gospel brings power for us. He says, but that it is power, and God's power at that. The Gospel is the power of God revealed to redeem, to renew, and to make all things Glorify Him by His work. I am not ashamed of the Gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. From faith first to last. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The problem that we have is that we want to find some way to declare ourselves righteous apart from God. That happens in our friendships and our family relationships. We have this desire to say, I'm right. I do this right. I'm the one that's right. I'm going to prove everybody wrong. Everyone should listen to me. The glorious good news of the gospel is this tearing down of that wall that's why paul can say i'm not ashamed of the gospel he's not ashamed of the gospel because he realizes the gospel's made clear he had nothing to be proud of to begin with when we see the righteousness of god revealed We see God's gift of righteousness, and that's only part of it. But when we see the righteousness displayed in God's merciful and gracious work of redemption, we should be utterly floored. We should be absolutely humbled. 
say, look at what God has done. Look at how God has demonstrated His righteousness. The grace that He's shown you and me. And I did nothing. You have done nothing to earn that grace. It is the overflow of God's character and love for us. You see, the righteousness of God revealed is the theme, one of the themes of Paul's letter to Rome. Because when we see the righteousness of God revealed, we realize how futile our efforts to justify ourselves will be. And the point of this book, the point of this letter is to make sure that we know our confidence is to be in nothing other than God. And to have confidence in anything other than God by faith in Christ, what He's done is to believe a false gospel, is to believe a lie, is to remain condemned. Because you see, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall know life by having faith in God, not themselves. What does this mean for us? It means God's calling us to trust in Him, to die to ourselves. It means we, as Christians of all people, should be the most humble. We, of all people, should be the most hopeful. We know this world ain't right. We know that we ourselves aren't right. But we know the one who is and will make all things right. And he's invited us to be made right, not by our own works, but by trusting in him in repentance and faith. So perhaps you've not trusted in God. This is an invitation to trust in Him. You can't do anything in your own work, your own effort, to make yourself right before God. But God, He makes us right by Christ's work, by faith. For my fellow Christians, right now, more than ever, this is an absolutely important thing for us to learn. There are divisions within the church in our country, and our country and the culture at large despises Christianity. But you know, one of the reasons they despise Christianity as they know and as they perceive it is because Christians, for so many years, have not lived according to this truth. Christians have said, I've done all the right things. I'm right before God. Look at my righteousness. And it's a lie straight from hell. Straight from hell. Because Christians should not be saying to the world, look at my righteousness. They should be saying to the world, look at God's righteousness revealed. 
So we as Christians need to be asking ourselves during this time as we face growing hatred, do they hate us because we declare that God is the one that is only righteous or do they hate us because rightfully and they should hate us if we are wrongfully saying, look at my righteousness. So let's make sure that we're not being the arrogant contemptible people who justly stand condemned because we are declaring our own righteousness. But Christians, if we, brothers and sisters, if we want to witness to the world the glorious Gospel, the Gospel that has power, then we must declare as Paul did, I'm not ashamed because I brought nothing to the table. But God proved His righteousness and has graciously provided righteousness for me through His Son. That is the message of the Gospel. And it has nothing to do with our work, our effort. It has everything to do with what God has done and what God has proven. So what will the world see? Will they see our false, contemptible self-righteousness? Or will the world see the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith by people who from first to last say, my life is not my own, my life is not by my effort, my work, my life is here because of the righteousness of God has made possible for me to have life. May we be a people whose faith testifies to God's righteousness, not our own. Let's pray.